It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in here, everyone, to Talent Talk. It's 1 p.m. It's Tuesday, so we have a live show here for you. Uh, and, of course, we'll talk about how that gets turned into a podcast later on. But in case this is the first time you happen to be tuning in, thank you so much for joining us and being a part of the show. Um, I have the privilege of meeting a lot of really cool people uh, in the different conferences and places where I talk and, and uh, maybe attend a conference. And so I really designed this show to bring you in on the conversation that I might have with one of these cool people or in our today's show, two of these cool people um, that have a lot to say about talent, and recruiting and HR, entrepreneurship or whatever it may be that we can learn from them from a talent perspective. So um, really hope that you can learn something, get something out of this, even be a part of the conversation. Um, as I said, we are live here every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Um, most of you actually access us, though, after the live show in one of our podcast uh, formats on iTunes or listen to us on iHeartRadio. Um, you can access us through any of those different uh, mediums. Um, you can also go to talenttalkradio.com where we do that. But between all those different platforms, we're over 10,000 downloads a day. It's over 3 million a year. And we're just uh, static to have so many people participating and being part of the show. If you want to uh, ask a question, we'd love to have you do that. You can do it live or you can do it after the fact if you're listening to this after we've already aired it. Um, but send your questions to at PeopleG2. Send your guest suggestions, send your comments, whatever it may be about what we're talking about. Use that hashtag Talent Talk if you can. It helps us make sure we find all those different tweets and uh, we can respond. The guest responds at a good time. But my uh, producer, Mike, will try to feed me in any live questions we get in now. Um, and he'll be live tweeting as we're going through this. So. Um, today's show, we have uh, two guests. My first guest will be uh, Ron uh, McKinley, uh, Vice President and uh, Chief. Uh, oh, I lost my script there for a second. There we go. Uh, uh, Vice President and uh, Chief Standards Officer uh, for the University of uh, Texas Medical uh, Branch at uh, Galveston. Um, and then my second guest will be uh, Nicole Emery, uh, Director of the People Engine. I think she's uh, maybe even calling in from Europe, so we'll find out that in the second half of the show. But uh, let's go ahead and get to my first guest. Ron, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks. I'm happy to be here. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Like, you know, what, what should we know about you and what you're doing? And, of course, uh, you know, the, the organization that you're working with. All right. So, as you said, I'm Vice President and Chief Standards Officer for the University of Texas Medical Branch at Galveston, which is a part of the Texas system. In fact, uh, we are the original medical school for the University of Texas. When the Texas legislature created the University of Texas, they put the regular academic 
campus in Austin and the medical school in Galveston. At that time, Galveston was uh, considered to be the Wall Street of the South, so it had lots of political clout. Therefore, that's where we are. And uh, so I've been doing this for the last three months. Prior to that, I was uh, vice president chief and uh, the chief HR officer for the University of Texas Medical Branch uh, at Galveston. So, And we have about uh, almost uh, 14,000 employees and um, operate throughout the state. In fact, uh, 50% of all the physicians that practice in the state of Texas either graduated from medical school in our medical school or they were a fellow or resident uh, at uh, University of Texas Medical Branch. So we have a major impact on the health of the state. And, and if you think about how you're uh, really consolidated to generally one, one, one state here, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong on that, but um, 14,000 employees is a lot of people to have in, in one particular area. And a lot of uh, companies we talk to that have those, those kinds of employee numbers might have, you know, a, a few thousand in each one of the different states, so or 500 or 200, something like that, and kind of spread out. Um, does that give you a unique advantage? Like, is that a disadvantage? Is that, you know, how, how is it to try to manage that kind of a number in a concentrated area? Well, I think it gives us an advantage. We are the largest employer in Galveston County, which is just south of Houston, and we're the 11th uh, largest uh, employer in overall the Houston metropolitan area. Of course, Houston is the fourth largest metropolitan area in the country. And we have, as I said, we have now, uh, we have about 3,000 employees that are not in Galveston. They're, they are spread throughout the state. We provide health care for all of the incarcerated population. I should say 80% of the incarcerated population in the state. We share that duty with uh, Texas Tech, uh, and they have the other 20% out west. Uh, and we have the only inpatient uh, uh, prison hospital in the United States right there on our campus in, in Galveston. So, so I think it gives us, gives us an advantage. We're certainly unique uh, among academic medical centers. As, as far as you know, there's uh, no other academic medical center in the U.S. that does has exactly what we do. So. Right. Well, I, I know you kind of have two main areas that you really help lead uh, and, and, and manage. So uh, really the develop of the, the U.S. domestic and international health care organization and management standards and also kind of lead and manage the development of the uh, international human resources management standards. Um, while these are kind of comparable, I guess, in scope, there's obviously some a bit of differentiation. How, how do you kind of manage those two different areas? Well, that's a very good question. We about seven years ago, we started uh, down the path of developing, you know, the approach to um, the creation of international standards in human resource management. So I'm the chair of two ISO, International Organization for Standardization Technical Committees. One, the first one is uh, TC260, which is human resource management, and the second one is TC304, which is healthcare organization management. On the HR side, we started, as I said, about seven years ago, and we have now we now have eight uh, international standards developed, and uh, and we also have a number in development. And uh, the committee itself, we have uh, over 50 countries involved uh, throughout the world in the creation of these of these standards. And as most people know, then. Uh, there really is a lack of standardization and human resource management process. And we're not really talking about the profession. We're talking about the practice 
of human resource management that as it might be applied in any organization or throughout the world without regard to size, industry, industry sector, or any of those other uh, factors. On the healthcare side, it's brand new. We've been at that for a year now. And uh, also anyone who works in healthcare knows that there is a lack of standardization with regard to how healthcare organizations are managed, not only in the United States, but throughout the world. I, I've met with folks uh, in many different countries, uh, for instance, the national health system in, in the UK, uh, folks in France and Japan and other places. And everyone uh, seems to have some of the same issues, and that would be a lack of efficiency and um, common approaches that make good sense, uh, cost less money, and produce really good outcomes that are efficacious uh, with regard to the management of the places. We're not talking about the actual delivery of care, but all of those management processes that support that delivery. And uh, although there's been some limited research done, uh, the, the research that, that we've seen that, that indicates, or that at least the evidence is pretty strong, that the better managed healthcare organizations are, they actually have better outcomes with regard to patients, their illnesses, and other conditions. So, well, so, so it sounds kind of like you have to. quite a bit of experience in looking at this uh, holistically and uh, you know, internationally at, as far as standards and how different organizations and groups may be approaching um, you know, their HR needs, and as well as having experience being a... Um, yeah, a professor or helping teach classes uh, of management at Xavier University. So I kind of wonder if you have maybe some perspective or you have some ideas or some thoughts on how maybe things have changed, uh, whether it's HR specific or management overall. I mean, ha have things gotten better? Have things got more complicated? Where, where do you kind of see, you know, how things have changed over the course of your career? Over the course of my career, my, my view is that uh, management, of course, management uh, is it's both uh, a science and uh, also it's also sometimes called an art, but certainly it's a, there's the managerial sciences. And management itself has changed. You know, management at its, at its best, at very basic essence is simply getting things done through the efforts of other people, not necessarily doing them yourself. And the things, of course, you want to have done are those outcomes that are important for organizations and society in general. And as I, I think probably most folks would agree, uh, or at least many would agree, that uh, things have become much more complex over time, at least in my experience, that uh, organizations are more complex, uh, the interactions between organizations and uh, different parts of society are much more complex, and uh, there are a lot, there's certainly a lot more regulation and requirements placed on people who practice management uh, than there has been in you know decades in the past. And um, these things require then, I think, there needs to be some uh, higher level of sophistication with regard to the application of management processes. And I think many people would agree that uh, management is distinct from leadership. They're not exactly the same thing. And I happen to very much agree with uh, John Cotter from Harvard that these are two processes that anybody, most anyone, that is, uh, with normal human intelligence and abilities, just regular abilities, regular people, can learn to do uh, should they have the, the inclination and um, the desire to actually do that. And uh, so standardization uh, is 
a way to help people who practice management actually do a better job. That, And we're not talking about best practice. We're talking about effective practice, things that actually work, that are expert-based, that real experts come together and work over a series of months and years to develop a standard that if an organization and people within it adopt, can actually help them produce results that are superior possibly than the ones they're currently uh, producing and then have a, a, a very positive downstream societal impact. And, and so, you know, it kind of begs the question, do you, is there an ideal philosophy then on how, how to how to approach this? And, and, you know, is that maybe something that you have evolved or I mean, maybe you could talk about what kind of that your management philosophy is now and how you approach those things kind of based on all this information and all these things that you kind of talking about um, is it a career um, maybe in the context of how might we explain this to our younger leaders and those people coming in the door as to how they might best approach um, all of these different um, things you're talking about my management philosophy actually has is very similar uh, today than, than what it was when I began my career as a manager uh, a long time ago. And that is it's both at the same time participative and situational. And I certainly adhere to the notion that there is more than one right way to get to the very same place. Uh, there is no really such thing as just one good way or, or an appropriate way to, to do anything. And the question is, what is the situation? And uh, what are the people doing around you in that situation? What are their capabilities? Then how can you leverage those uh, working together in a participative way, which means people have input to the final decision. They, they may or may not actually make it. The manager may make that decision, but they certainly have input. And the circumstances surrounding that input, uh, the situation, if you will, then are extremely important. So if you're in a situation where you have very experienced people who done many things and have produced really stellar results over time, and you're aware of that, then they certainly should have more control over their work processes, may very well know more about what they're doing than you do, and your decision should be colored that way. The opposite is also true if you're in a situation where you have very new people with regard to what they're doing and and, um, and their work, then they may need a little bit more guidance, if you will, and, and help in order to get to the right place. So my philosophy has been this way for many years. It's both at the same time participatory and situational. Yeah, and and I, I appreciate your kind of uh, admitting there at the beginning that, you know, there's maybe more than one road to get to the same place, um, but that this particular road seems to work really well for you. And, you know, I'm once wondering, I mean, do, do you find it difficult to, to take, you know, all these different things that you, you've talked about? You take your style, you take the complexities, you take the, the amount of uh, regulation or compliance or things that we ask to do of managers. You know, is it difficult to really put all these things into place and allow us to, to be effective, especially kind of going back to your earlier point on some of your work on an international level and being able to, to standardize some of these things? Um, you know, can we get to that point where we can standardize a lot of these things, or are we? Is it going to be fairly complex and 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 situational and and country specific and things like that? So the answer is yes. We can actually standardize these things. The uh, process it, it's not necessarily easy. Uh, one of the other things I've experienced in my life is that anything that's really important and worth doing is not going to necessarily be easy. 
think it might be difficult. And however, uh, for well-intentioned people who uh, uh, have a goal in mind and who are tenacious, because really good things don't happen overnight, so you have to work at them over a period of time. For instance, the human resource management standards we've, we've discussed a little bit, uh, it takes at least three years to develop a standard uh, using the ISO method, and sometimes it takes four. And However, at the end of that, because it's such a really good collaborative iterative process involving experts who actually do these things in their own countries, when a standard actually gets published, it, in my experience, Ben, it, it's quite good, and it is... Uh, absolutely usable or adopt it can be adopted in any country because we do it in a way that actually allows it to be country neutral and then you can take it and then apply uh, those regulations and requirements that are specific to individual countries while you're using that particular standard so yeah it's complex and sometimes difficult but the end result certainly worth the is certainly worth the effort because my experience has been that when you get when you get to the finish line on one of these standards or a family of those standards, you've got something that really has a positive impact on people in places that are really important to them where they work. And, you know, given the complexity of management and, and human resources, uh, you know, I know people that might take a look into this world and say, wow, I, there's no way I could do all of that or handle all of that. And, you know, I might do the same thing if I stared into the, the equations of a mathematician. I mean, it's just all a matter of what we're good at and what we're passionate about. And I guess that kind of leads me to that question of wondering, you know, why are you so passionate about human resources and what's maybe kind of kept you engaged and, and really interested on, in this, this realm and this, this area of business uh, for all these years? If you think about organizations, you know, often sometimes people think about uh, the stuff that they see in buildings, machines, really complex structures, things like that. Uh, but, but any organization is simply a collection of people, and it is, it's people that make things happen, and things are done for the benefit of people, uh, not for that stuff, because if there are no people, the stuff just sits there. In fact, I was reading uh, an article, I forget exactly where it was, but uh, maybe six months ago, that you know if um, all of a sudden humans were not, present on earth that it would only take 500 years before all of the visible signs of human presence disappear and that we're talking about all that stuff all the buildings all the bridges all of those types of things those big you know stadiums and things that we you know we like to go to uh they would just not not be visible to anyone's eye if someone came in on a spaceship and took a look at earth so what's really important then are are the people because without the people that stuff, those organizations don't exist. So from my experience that I've dedicated my career to trying to make uh, the, the process of, of working in organizations better and uh, more um, and, and produce better outcomes for the people that actually uh, work there. So that in the long run, you have more people that have a job, uh, they can make more money, they can do the things that they, they want to do, and they can produce outcomes, uh, individual and organizational outcomes that are important for others and that and have some kind of positive effect, overall positive uh, societal effect. I mean, that's, that's been my approach. Well, and I appreciate I it. That's a great perspective. Yeah. 
you know, we, we tend to like to ask a couple fun questions here at the end before we wrap up the interview. Um, one that we recently started asking, um, and this one uh, you may or may not be ready for, and that's all right if you don't have a great answer, but um, is there a tool or a thing or an app or something that maybe you've discovered in the last year that you've been using and really enjoying that, you know, maybe people might want to check out and, and, uh, and use in their own uh, career or personal life? can tell you about a technique that comes to mind. Uh, it's not an app, so it's not as uh, it's not it's not a high tech technique. You know, there there are all kinds of techniques. Right. Uh, this one is, uh, and I've done this. I have one. I have one of my own. I've used it, and I think it's it's been very successful for me. And that is to have a a career plan. And you know, the good thing about a plan is it, it's not like etched in stone, so it's something you can change if you want to, but the earlier a person figures out what he or she wants to do and be, and and the thing the question to ask is, you know, at some point we're going to be in the last job we ever had. There won't be any other jobs after that. We're going to retire. Something bad will happen, or, or whatever. We're going to forget who we are, wander off into the night. But so, what job? If it wouldn't it be great if it's that job we really, really wanted? Because if we do that, we're gonna we're gonna be happier. We're gonna achieve more. Overall, so having a life plan, uh, having an idea of where you're going to go, and and getting focused on that, and then learning and and talking to other people who've actually done it, and then develop things, write down the things that you have to do, education, experience, whatever, to actually achieve that. And, and I've done that, and the folks that I know who have one, they they've all they've all been able to achieve what they wanted. Maybe not exactly when they wanted to, but they got it done, which is what's really important. So yeah. I think using that technique it can be very, very beneficial, especially for somebody starting off. Well, it's great advice career. for anybody listening, whether you're just starting your career or you're in the last part of your career. Having a plan on where you want to go and what you want to do is is, is terribly important. Um, uh, you know, uh, last kind of uh, topical question here is: Is there a book that you're reading right now that you might uh, share with us? All right, the book is uh, Enge uh, Enterprise Engagement: A Roadmap. And it's about not an, an necessarily employee engagement, but engaging the entire enterprise, which includes your customers, your employees, your management leadership team, and your suppliers. You, you know, using a total quality perspective. Uh, I would I would highly recommend that or a book similar similar to that, especially for any of the HR practitioners out there. You know, enter if you talk to CEOs today, most of them will tell you that one of the their top uh, pain points is. Uh, employee engagement, and really, if you look at the enterprise as a whole, uh, and if you can engage all those parts in meaningful ways, and I'm not talking about taking a survey and see how happy people are, I'm talking about are they really active participants in, uh, participants in the enterprise, committed participants, then I think that can have a lot of positive effect. So I would highly recommend that. Well, uh, you know, Ron, really appreciate you being on the show today. Uh, how can people get a hold of you or learn more about the University of Texas medical system if they uh, have the desire to do so? All right. So our, our website is www.utmb.edu, and anybody's welcome to send me an email. It's rbmckinl at utmb.edu, and I'll, I'll uh, very, be very happy to reply. Wonderful. Well, we'll clean up the uh, little bit of the phone issue. We'll make it sound uh, nice and pretty on the podcast. But again, thank you so much for being a part of the show, and I'd love to have you come back at some point and give us a quick update on 
and what you're doing. And uh, But again, th- thank you so much for being a part of the show. Oh, you're welcome. And I'll be very happy to come back. Thanks. All right. I'm going to take a quick commercial break, and then we'll come back with our second guest, uh, Nicole Marie. All the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Don't forget, you can uh, find us on uh, iTunes, on iHeartRadio. You can go to talenttalkradio.com. There's uh, all kinds of great ways to find us, interact with past shows, hear this show over and over again. Uh, and don't forget, we also love to have you interact with us on Twitter, at PeopleG2. Use that hashtag, Talent Talk, and we can keep the conversation going. Uh, you can send live questions now, or we can send them after the fact that that's when you're listening. But um Anyways, let me go ahead and bring in my last guest. Uh, uh, we'll be uh, at, if you've uh, just missed uh, Ron uh, McKinley's uh, uh, interview, you can grab it on that podcast. But um, we'll go ahead and move on to uh, Nicole Marie. She's a director um, at the People Engine, um, and uh, we'll go ahead and bring her in. So, Nicole, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Grace. Great to be here with you. Uh, why don't you tell one a little bit about yourself? What we should know really about you, and of course, what you're doing over there at the People Engine. Okay, so uh, my name is Nicole. I'm from origin. I'm Dutch, and I work mostly remote. Um, I travel and work around the world, a bit like a professional nomad. And my team and I at the People Engine um, we create and support modern HR and people operations, uh, and working mostly with remote teams as well. Well, that's uh, exciting stuff to us. We're a remote organization, and we love talking about all these uh, different ways in which people work and operate. Um, where are you actually calling in uh, from today? Uh, I'm currently in the UK. Oh, great. Well, I know your business is about improving other people's businesses. Uh, what is it about that type of work that really drives you now and kind of got you involved in that to begin with? Well, uh, it's like... A little bit like when I first started out working in emerging markets many years ago. Um, I think you can still add real value to remote teams and you can support and help the people either individually or uh, the companies. So it's all about um, supporting and still adding value and being responsible but also accountable for things. And I think that sometimes in the corporate world is a is a bit of a, a missed opportunity um which i really love uh while working remote and and working with online companies yeah and maybe you could talk a little bit more about that missed opportunity where are companies missing that opportunity to to get better in terms of the responsibility when you're working in 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 a, a corporation 
um, although you're responsible for certain tasks, you're not always held accountable. And in the remote world, um, it's 100% accountability on your shoulders. So I think from that aspect, it's a it's a huge opportunity for the corporate world to to also give a little bit back to to the employees and give a little bit more responsibility. And um, with that comes a lot of learning and taking uh, taking up own accountabilities. Sure, sure. But what do you see as the things that most businesses need to do to maybe improve um, and really, you know, do everything from make people happier to getting a better bottom line? Where is it you seeing like the most improvement happening or the maybe the places where you can get the most out of a company as far as improvement goes? I think there's quite a few things. And I think so many years after now, um, the personnel department has moved into the HR department and now moving into people operations or whatever the, the, the name is now within within an organization. It's really all about understanding your people. And I think the behavioral science behind it um, is becoming more and more important for everybody's bottom line, um, as well as getting the, the monitor technology in and align the processes in the organization with that um, is also very important. So it's really that, you know, kind of getting every, everyone talking, everyone working in the kind of, I guess, rowing the boat in the same direction, right? Is that what you're saying? Yes. And, you know, it's all about the needs of the human stakeholders, isn't it? And of course, there's there's the, the profit profitability of an, of an organization, but it's about brainstorming and thinking big and building types of models that work for your organization, but still bring in, you know, how do our people actually want to work, especially with all the different generations in, in, in the organization at the moment. And, and, you know, and you being a virtual organization, and as you kind of said, being a, a bit of a nomad and, and kind of living in different places at different times, how do you then really, uh, for your own culture, for your own company, you know, work to keep things alive and vibrant and, and connected? It's really all about connecting globally uh, through the various communication channels. And the the best method I've found is really building and using digital uh, ecosystems, really where collaboration is between uh, the clients, my team, and possibly any other freelancer or subcontractors, and ensuring that the scope of work is always defined and documented. And again, it's about the accountability and responsibility of, of people's roles. Do you use any particular um, systems or programs that people might want to consider looking at or using in their own companies? Well, I, th I think there's the, the majority of systems such as Slack or Asana that helps with the communication. But then there's also smaller systems and we're looking at, at some of the remote companies we're looking at the freelance management systems and um, all the old contingent uh, workforce systems that that are very helpful in in, in aligning and and helping to process the, the, the document process yeah and you know we use HipChat, we use uh, gyra we use all sorts of different platforms so we certainly understand that the viability of having those great resources and a centralized area to communicate and work. And um, sometimes I think we have an advantage as a virtual organization because we have to use those things to communicate and we can't just reach over and, and yell something across the room at somebody. <laughs> uh, 
you know, which is nice in the moment, but isn't documented. It's not remembered all the time. It's not easily, you know, re remembered later on a week or two later. But, you know, I can go to my hip chat program and pull up every link, every file, every conversation I have with someone and remember, oh, yeah, that was that thing they wanted me to do. So sometimes I feel like we have an advantage there. Um, does that kind of do you guys have that same kind of idea or feeling as well? Yes, I, th I think we do, and we we do meet once in uh, once in a while, and 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 in person. I think that sometimes is important, but it it, it helps with the personal contacts and in, especially the, the the videos and having the conversation, you know, uh, in person does help really create a, a much more vibrant organization. Do, do you find challenges within your own organization or other virtual organizations uh, in trying to tackle things like engagement and culture and keeping employees motivated? Um, you know, it's nice to have our own space and our own work and all that, but at some level, you know, keeping people connected and, and, and focused on the purpose is another challenge. It's definitely, uh, <laughs> it's definitely uh, one of the, the, the bigger challenges uh, when we're talking about uh, virtual teams i think it's all about uh, the building of trust and that's one of the, the the more important things and how do you stimulate the offers what type of tools are you using for the online co collaboration also bridging that distance when you work with one or more people i think that's the, the one of the, the the challenges in in any remote organization yeah, absolutely. And you have the complexity of being in different areas, different time zones, maybe different languages being spoken. Um, you know, my my organization is, you know, a little bit flatter than that. I mean, we're, we're virtual, but we all are speaking one language and we're all in one country, um, although we are spread out. Um, you have it sounds like you have the additional complexities there as well to, to deal with. You know, when you, I guess when you are dealing with a company that maybe you're working with that needs to embrace change, as we most of us do, what do you do with the emotionally invested individuals who are struggling to maybe make some of those changes, right, or get their heads around those changes? Maybe how do you encourage them or get them to kind of move into a positive uh, part of that process? Um, or do you just have to find ways to, to, to you know, get, get rid of them and replace them with someone else who, who will, you know, invoke the change? Um, that's very interesting. There's a couple of ways of, of, of working working this. I, I think, you know, in terms of removing somebody uh, from an organization, that that's really the final fi final answer. Um, it's all about um, the fear of the unknown. Um, it's all about building the excitement and and presenting. You know, when we look at, for example, software, um, as long as it's not too scary, people can be convinced that change is for the better and they'll go along with it. Um, but they're all afraid of the, the loss of human touch, the technology, the, the, the job control, um, job security, and possibly change management. And it, it's, it's really looking at investing in your resources and making it uh, move forward so how can that technology for example be more valuable to them how will it empower them to make quicker and for example more accurate decisions so um, it, there, there's different ways of, of, of working with um, and, and encouraging 
I would say, you know, uh, freelancers or, or, or employees um, to, to move forward with the change. And it's also usually in, in certain environments, they're all very much like-minded. So change is a lot easier when there's some like-mindedness than mm-hmm. if there's a lot of different um, ideas in terms of what people want to do with the company. Right, so absolutely. that's a, a way of moving forward as well. What are some of the areas, you know, especially maybe in a human resources uh, lens, that you're you're seeing that are kind of undergoing transformation, or where maybe there's some strategic um, uh, places where, where companies can look to grow and improve? Are, are you seeing anything in that kind of in that realm? Yes, there, there, there's again again quite a few but i think it's it's to do with you know people say the the gig economy i don't always think it's the right word but the contingent workforce you know we have to deal with the the highest numbers of freelancers and remote workers we've seen so far and you know these worldwide workers you know come from a diverse culture and they play an important role in achievement of the goals and objectives so this is altering the workforce, but also the the way the business and the people processes need to be supported. And it it does require some type of new employment model um, from from my idea. And, you know, managing these workers who are strategically important is not only about salaries, it's about, you know, getting it right and and driving their business performance. Um, And that comes down to, okay, you know, once that's in place we have to look at training and you know is what we're doing now with learning and development correct for hire our kids from school or looking at training them investing in the online modules skills training now requires a lot of different things uh, than what it used to be in 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 the previous years yeah, there's quite a bit of, of change there, especially with the, the rapidness of which we take on new things and, and make changes and ask people to come show up to work knowing already so many things. Um, that we, I remember when we started this show, we sort of joked about how, you know, we used to train people on how to use programs, and now we hire them because they already know how to use them. You know, that's already a part of what their skill set is. Uh, that we require people to, to, to show up and know so much and do so much and then be able to, to pivot uh, very quickly. And, you know, to that end, I'm wondering, is there something maybe new that you recently have found that you're really enjoying personally or professionally, like a gadget or an app or, you know, maybe something that's helping you be more productive or, or have more fun in what you're doing? I think it's all about um, lean. Um, I don't always say mean because I I'm, <laughs> I like kindness and niceness. <laughs> but I think uh, using the different apps that are out there and, and making um, your your own productivity better. And it's all become, you know, it almost becomes a game, isn't it? I did this in two hours. Ooh, this time it's, you know, I did it in one and a half. And it's similar to a little bit like Fitbit. You know, it's, it's, it's these things are on the workforce. Uh, modules as well in terms of you know how can we make ourselves more productive how can we make our, our communication more productive you know things like slack are not always the the best way of of, of helping a, a team or helping yourself so you know uh, jumping on a video call and and putting some you know icons on and 
and some images on and might also be a, a good way of you know having a laugh with somebody from from uh, afar so it's all about the the personal stuff and although I, I love all the gadgets and 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 the apps you do need to be careful that there's not too many of them and, and you lose your perspective of of, of of actually being productive so um i love them all i have so many of them and i could tell <laughs> you many but um I don't want to promote <laughs> promote some as well. And, and you're right about using too many. We, we we have certainly had that experience in our own organization. We went, you know, we're using maybe two or three, just too many. Could we cut this out or could we just replicate what we're doing in a different app and um, or somehow tie them together? We've, we've done that with a couple of different services where, you know, the apps can kind of on an automated way talk to each other and help us be more efficient. So it's important. Uh, you know, one of our other kind of favorite questions to ask, uh, we get such unique answers, is, you know, is there a book or something you're reading right now that you might share with us? Actually reading a really, really classic book, The Science of Getting Rich. And uh, the reason why I'm reading it is because I really like the piece about becoming a creator and not a competitor, you know, expressing your individuality. And I think it's being authentic in this world is, is very important. And it's not always uh, about uh, the enormous amounts of um, of corporate workforce focused uh, in terms of, you know, smaller companies and medium-sized companies can just, you know, add so much uh, fun as well. So it's one of the reasons why I'm reading this book now. Yeah, it sounds like a, a great one to check out. And again, that's why we asked the question, because it always seems like our guests have wonderful answers to give us. You know, you've mentioned a lot of wonderful and great and interesting things today. You know, if someone was only only paid attention for a few minutes, or maybe if they had wandered off at some point and then came back, I mean, if, if they were going to remember one thing, if there was really a, a particular point or an idea that we talked about today that you really hope they might remember, what, what would that be? I think um, my, my, uh, uh, my thinking is in terms of, and please really ne need to realize that it's important and that there's game-changing factors for driving their careers and it's themselves. And, you know, as we're approaching a new year, it's important to remember that you do not need the permission uh, to exercise your gifts and your value does not increase based upon someone's inability to see your worth. And this is what I'm seeing a lot at the moment, um, also in the corporate HR uh, workforce. And I think it's important to, you know, see your own worth and um, everything, especially from a remote work perspective, everything will be okay. Yeah, that's great advice and um, uh, definitely something that people should think about. Um, how how can people get a hold of you or learn more about the People Engine or you know or, uh, reach out if they want to work with you? Well, what's the best way for them to do that? I can be contacted via the contact form on uh, thepeopleengine.me or via my email info at thepeopleengine.me. Wonderful. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for being a part of our show today and providing such great insights and calling in all the way from the UK. I know with the time zones, it's not always easy, so. Um, thank you so much for being a part of the show, and hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the fabulous things that you're doing. That will be lovely. Thank you so much, Chris. All right, thank you, everyone, for listening to today's show. Hopefully you gained uh, something that you can use in your own career in a positive way. This is actually my last show of 2017. Uh, I'll take a little vacay for the last couple of weeks, but uh, hope everyone had a, will have a great holiday season and a very happy new year. 
Um, we're also going to be talking more about the launch of my book that will come out in February of this uh, 2018, The Power of Company Culture. We're actually looking for people who might want to be involved in the pre-marketing uh, or be involved in, in, in the launch of that book. So if you're a uh, if you service HR, if you focus on HR and companies and anything to do with talent, feel free to reach out. We'd love to have you be a part of that. Um, when we come back to the air on January 9th, we will be joined by uh, uh, Adriana uh, Cabre, the Vice Chancellor of HR at the National University System, and also uh, Mark uh, Magnaca, the President and Co-Founder of Alagio. I think it's Alagio. It might be a Lego. But uh, until then, do we love and show the world how talented you can be today? You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.